0: Good morning. Uh, This morning I wish to focus our our minds on the most important question that we could possibly ever ask, uh, which is did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now to avoid any confusion, I'm not talking uh, metaphorically, uh, I'm not saying uh, perhaps his message rose from the grave. What I am asking, uh, the question that is of greatest importance, is did the person Jesus Christ, who was alive 2,000 years ago, die and rise again? This is the most important question you will ever ask. You see, if the answer is yes, he rose from the dead, then that has consequences because it means that you need to open up the door of your heart when he comes knocking. If the answer is no, he did not rise from the dead, then no amount of walking on water or feeding hungry crowds or restoring sight really matters. Uh, None of the wise sayings or insightful teaching really matters. If Christ was just a good man, even the best of all men who ever lived, if all he ever does is provide hope for this life and not for what comes beyond that, then we are to be pitied. This is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still lost in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. Now, this is what is at stake. Uh, This is why we focus on the death and resurrection each year at Easter. If Jesus rose from the dead, then no other miracle can compare. The others are chicken feet compared to this one. Because if he rose from the dead, he could do all the others. And more importantly, he could fulfil all of his promises, back up all of his teaching and provide for us hope in this life and the next. Now, uh, before we get to the account uh, written in the Gospel of Matthew, let me first talk to you about chess. You see, it's a game that I enjoy, and I wonder, of those of you who may play it, if there was a moment when you were playing when you sat opposite your opponent and you realised you were utterly outclassed. It's quite a humbling moment. That moment when you're playing away, concentrating on your next move, perhaps you're thinking that you're actually doing quite well. When suddenly... From what seems to be out of nowhere uh, your opponent moves a piece that he's positioned several moves ago he didn't think anything of and he moves it and it pierces your defenses and it compels you to capitulate as you hear those words checkmate now, for me this experience was given to me very often as a child when I was playing against my father now he taught me how to play and I was naturally outclassed but whilst I was concentrating on the next move he was always 10 or 20 moves ahead of me now, through practice, you become better. But it is that strategy of it uh, that I think is important for this morning. You know, I love a love of strategy largely underpins the work that I used to do as a theologian, uh, though pieces on a board would be replaced with words and concepts and arguments as you try and see them through 10, 30, 50 moves down the line. It makes me think that Matthew would have been a very, very accomplished chess player. Moving as he does, all the pieces of evidence in the account of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Alongside the overtures of grief, uh, alongside his obvious gratitude to uh, Joseph uh, for the tomb, we see Matthew piece together all these different parts, all these different pieces of evidence that prevent us from saying the most foolish thing, that Christ was never raised from the dead. When the early church made the claim that Jesus rose from the dead, what do you think happened? Well, on the whole, I mean, some were convinced, yeah. But often they were laughed at, they were ridiculed, and often when the laughing ended, they were murdered. Alternative explanations of the resurrection were offered. Maybe Jesus wasn't really dead, it was said. perhaps. The disciples stole the body. Perhaps those silly women just got the wrong tomb, and so Matthew begins to put all the pieces of evidence together. He puts them in place skillfully, answering all these queries, which is useful because they are the same queries that people have today concerning the resurrection. So. Piece number one, as it were, when it comes to the evidence. Well, piece number one would be Joseph of Arimathea and his tomb. Uh, We can uh, read about that uh, in Matthew 27, verses 57 to 61. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who, who himself had been a disciple of Jesus. Now going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So Joseph of Arimathea had been a secret disciple of Christ, according to uh, John's account in chapter 19, verse 38. Uh, But he comes forward now and he rather bravely declares uh, patronage for this dead rabbi. Uh, Note the request uh, for the body was to Pilate himself. Um, It was not a usual practice uh, to allow for the criminal who had been killed to be instantly handed over. The inclusion of this request in the gospel is to primarily underline the fact that Jesus was dead. Roman governors and executioners did not take a half-hearted approach to capital punishment. They're not going to hand him over unless they're sure. So this rich man is specifically noted to have buried Jesus in his own tomb as we read in verse 60. Now, most Judean burial sites were private family tombs uh, scattered around Jerusalem and elsewhere, and they were quite different from what we might see in in Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire today. Rich people such as Joseph uh, tended to have tombs which were essentially uh, caves, uh, uh, cut out, as it were, from the rock. Now these, uh, well the the opening was was covered up by a large blocking stone that would have been rolled into a groove that would have been made specifically for that purpose. It's a design which means that the stone cannot be moved from the inside. Uh, Now only a few of these stones have survived to this day but we have enough of them to realise that they were far too large for a single man to move. um, All of them having a diameter larger than my six foot. The additional fact that it was a new tomb uh, shows that there was no one else in it. There was no reason for anybody else to go near it. Um, The newness of the tomb also makes it very easy to identify. Which brings me to piece number two in the evidence, which is the woman. Um, verse 61, as I said, uh, as I read out to you earlier, said uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So the two women are specifically noted to have observed exactly where the tomb was. They are presented as reliable eyewitnesses, uh, but they are unable to participate in all of this. They are unable to interfere at any point. They seem to be uh, opposite, as it were, on the, the, the other side watching. But they know exactly where the tomb is. Uh, Piece number three in terms of the evidence is the guard at the tomb. So if we were to continue reading in Matthew's account from verse 62, this is what it says. The next day, uh, the one after uh, preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until that third day. Otherwise, the disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. Uh, This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the tomb and posting the guard. So this is the third piece of evidence and it's caused because Jesus had claimed that death would not be the end and this caused some consternation amongst the men who saw him killed. These chief priests and Pharisees have a vested interest in seeing Jesus stay buried and so they collude with the Roman authorities in keeping Jesus in that tomb. Uh, They ensured that there was a guard placed at the entrance uh, interestingly, um, a Roman guard, sometimes known as a watch, would be a minimum of four to eight men. Uh, as we note later on, we see that some of the guard go to report that the body is missing in Matthew 28 verses 11 to 14. Um, uh, thus telling you at the very least, uh, it's a plural, and that there's at least four of them. And now these are the three pieces of evidence provided by Matthew. And they combat the same arguments that we may well face today. Uh, firstly, uh, people may say Jesus didn't die. Uh, secondly, uh, they may say that the, the woman got the wrong tomb. Uh, thirdly, they may say that someone stole the body. Now, uh, I used to travel a lot between Aberdeen, where I live, and Glasgow, where I used to work. Uh, it's a fascinating journey and uh, I often manage to talk about spiritual matters to a wide uh, array of people on that journey as I went there year after year. Now there was one memorable journey near Easter time uh, where I sat opposite a a rather uh, aggressive person uh, who did not believe in the resurrection, who sneered at any notion of faith. Uh, Apparently, according to him, logic and reason were to be relied upon and my fluffy faith was considered no match for this. Uh, Suitably challenged. I then asked him, okay, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what happened? And in part two, I'll tell you what he said. Welcome back to part two. Uh, So having been asked if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what happened? My fellow passenger declared, "Hmm, Jesus did not really die. Now this is a common response where people uh, believe that perhaps Jesus uh, swooned. He appeared to die. Consequently, he was able to recover in the tomb a couple of days later and from there escape. Well, says I, that is an interesting theory. However, we're talking about someone who was beaten and scourged the flesh of his back, being ripped to shreds until you could see the ribs. A cloak was put on his back, repeatedly pulled off to increase the blood loss. He is crucified with the large nails going through his wrists and ankles. He is lifted up so that his lungs fill with bodily fluids. Once he appears dead... The expert executioners then puncture one of his lungs and his heart. They do so with a spear leading to a flow of blood and water. But apparently after a couple of days rest, he's fine. The officials then hand over the body. Now assuming the expert Syrian executioners had missed something, Pilate takes personal responsibility by officially handing over the body of a condemned rebel leader. Someone who has the capacity to turn a tinderbox region on its head. Taking a half-hearted approach towards capital punishment would be very, very unusual given the track record of Pilate himself. However, for me, the real cherry on top of this cake of incredulity is the idea that from within a tomb that cannot be opened from the inside this badly broken lung pierced pronounced dead individual manages with his pierced heart pierced feet and using nerve damaged hands to move aside a stone whose purpose it is to not allow easy access a stone remember sealed Uh, about the size of myself in diameter. He then, for no apparent reason, takes off all of his clothes and now, naked uh, and physically broken, manages to walk straight past the Roman soldiers who are posted to guard the tomb, whose lives uh, would be forfeit if they just let the body disappear. And now this naked, broken man uh, decides to wander through the streets of uh, pilgrim-packed Passover Jerusalem. And he does it all without drawing the attention of the Jewish leaders who have feared that something like this might happen. Wow. Yeah. I mean, basically what we're saying is uh, he, he gets out, he walks down the street and nobody notices a thing. And at this point, I must confess, in the conversation, I took a big breath. I looked him straight in the eye and I said, wow, I admire your faith. I'm afraid, I can't believe that. No, logic requires that I just simply accept that he rose from the dead. Like the Bible says, I can't believe what you're saying. So, uh, feeling sorry for him, I said, well, we'd like to have another go. We'd like to come up with a different theory, saying he you don't want to believe that he rose from the dead. So, a little taken aback, but now doubly determined, he tries again. He goes, well, then, uh, they got the wrong tomb. Now, when I pointed out that there were two women who saw the body being interred, he responded by saying that, uh, and this is his words, that women are hopeless at directions and they must have got lost. Odd enough, I can imagine men saying this through the generations. Uh, Indeed, in the eyes of the Romans, a woman's account was worthless. It counted less than a man's at best. Uh, Which means if you were going to make this up, if you were going to come up with this story, you would have men as witnesses the very inclusion of women, when only God considered them as being decent eyewitnesses, well, that smacks of authenticity. Anyway, having raised an eyebrow at his response, and overlooking the point that men went to the tomb later, as soon as they uh, heard from the women, I felt that I had to point out that we're talking about not being able to find a brand new tomb tomb, something that would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, They would have to have been blind to mix it up, not just lost. Uh, Plus the Roman soldiers standing outside may well have given a clue as to which tomb it was. However the most powerful argument against this idea is the fact that the disciples start claiming Jesus is alive. Now if they do so because they got the wrong tomb rather than because it was empty, then the Jewish authorities and the Romans that they were working with could have just produced the body that they were guarding. That would have been it. End of Christianity. You know, if they're saying, Jesus is alive, look, the tomb is empty. They could say, well, you got the wrong tomb. Here he is. And that's it. Done. So to believe that, well, I turned to my fellow passenger again and I said, wow, <laughs> I admire your faith. I can't believe that logic compels me to accept that he rose from the dead so somewhat put out I offered him a further chance uh, to which he replied this time well uh, the body must have been stolen well I said well you know at least that's a logical response Um, so I said well well, who stole it to his first attempt he he said well uh, uh, grave robbers which I'll admit at that point was unexpected I didn't think uh, of that one I said huh grave robbers I mean certainly there were a lot of grave robbers around at the time but it doesn't really work I mean surely robbers would not go for a new tomb with only one body uh, the body of a poor rabbi uh, in the first stage of burial before you know anything worth stealing has been put in there but suppose they were incredibly stupid robbers um, would the Roman soldiers, would the official seal which when broken would have meant the death penalty uh, could that maybe have put them off? I mean, the, the giant stone, you know? But let's just say that they were incredibly stupid, yet spectacularly stealthy to get past the Roman soldiers, uh, incredibly brave and wonderfully strong robbers, uh, and they managed to get into the tomb without being noticed. What possible motivation would they have for taking the body? Uh, what's worse, they take the linen clothing, which is the only thing of value, and they leave that behind and take the body. So they leave behind the only valuable thing and they sneak past the Roman guards with the body. Nope, said I. "I I'm afraid again I'm just going to have to stand back in awe that you can have that much faith. You see logic will have no part in your fairy tale. So he was getting a bit upset. He's really thinking, he says, well, uh, the Jews! he plucked it. Out. They, they took it. Right, says I. The group with the most to lose, the ones that really needed Jesus to stay buried. A group with no motive, no opportunity, and the ones going out of their way to stop this very thing happening in the first place. The ones who'd gone to get the Romans to seal the tomb. They did it. The Jewish leaders who end up in conflict with the church, Uh, who end up having to to rewrite their whole religion. Uh, These guys, Uh, the ones who who see so many of their fellows turn to Christianity against all of their efforts. Uh, The ones who will go out with murderous intent of those early Christians when all they had to do was say, well, actually, we've got the body this whole time. Here he is, the greatest threat. And they could have destroyed it in an instance and yet, Didn't? No, says I, no, you're going to have to try again. So he does, and and, and this time he goes, well, uh, well, um, the Romans, yeah, the Romans took it. Well, says I, I mean, they've got the opportunity. I mean, they're the ones guarding it. I mean, however, having provided the guard to stop it, it seems a little bit strange. I mean, they don't have a motive. Why would they do something so dangerous? But having killed him, they risk setting alight this tinderbox region and making a hero out of the one they've killed. Equally, I mean, the Romans do an awful lot to try and eradicate Christianity at the outset. Why wouldn't they just produce the body and let the whole thing collapse? So finally, and with an air of desperation, my real companion used his last remaining option. And he goes, well... Uh, The disciples, they stole it. Right, says I. Uh, These would be the same disciples who have already run away. The the ones who are in hiding. Uh, The ones who want to have nothing to do with the whole thing. Uh, Those disciples. Uh, The ones who are taken completely by surprise at the resurrection. I mean, those guys. The disciples who have a Roman guard set up specifically to stop them. The disciples who are scattered and confused. You know, I, I must confess, I think that they are the least likely of all of your options. Every single one of them will go on to die horribly because they believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that when he met them again, it was in supernatural force. Why would they all lie when they have no motive? Lies are usually told in order to gain something from some sort of selfish advantage. What advantage did these conspiring disciples gain through their lie? Signing up to this early Christianity resulted in hatred, scorn, persecution, excommunication, imprisonment, torture, exile, crucifixion, being boiled alive, roasted, beheaded, disemboweled and fed to lions. Where is the advantage? All of them die often very slowly and in great agony and not one of them thought, of seeing as it was all a lie anyway, not one of them thought to recant. Not one of them. Of the hundreds who'd have been included in all of this, not one of them. Wow, said I. You know, I must again admire your faith to believe that logic however demands that I go with the only realistic option that Jesus Christ the son of God was raised again on the third day and I concluded then as I conclude now you see the main reason that people do not want to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead two thousand years ago and is alive today is the simple fact that a resurrection demands a response It demands of this same Jesus, the present, risen Christ. For all those who wish to say that Jesus did not rise from the dead, I can only admire your faith. Yet, as C.S. Lewis once said, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by simply scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Refusing... To acknowledge him now makes no sense. It was ultimately a strategy doomed to failure. So as I stand here this morning with, uh, I do so with a clear message, an unqualified, categorical statement for you. This most, on this most glorious of mornings, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the tomb, he ascended on high. As Saviour, he intercedes on our behalf. And even today, he knocks on the doors of hearts that need to be opened to him. For one day, he will return as the King of Kings, to whom every knee shall bow. And for us who have accepted him, it is a glorious thing. And why we celebrate this Easter Sunday morning. Thank you.